0: How fortunes turn and twist. How could it all come down to this? You were just walking when he came stalking, when the mad catter trundled out of the mist. Oh, why did you tell him a lie that turned his head so you caught his eye? Now you're his guest, so behave your best, or he just might make you want to die. Oh, how long until you are free, until this boogeyman will let you be? No escaping your fate, so best not be late. Just sit yourself down. It's time for tea. Good evening, my creepy kitties. It is I, your host, Mr. Whiskers, the Mad Catter, here to bring you another episode of Twisted Tea Time. For tonight's tea, I'm drinking an old favorite, Bengal Spice. Sure, it's celestial seasoning, not exactly something a connoisseur would care about, but add a little milk and honey, and it's positively perfect. Now, for our first story, we meet a young man fresh out of high school. Foolishly thinking a position in fast food or retail is beneath him, he finds out about a job where he can get paid doing practically nothing. Sounds a bit too good to be true, doesn't it? Well, let's find out as he tells us about working for sleepwatchers.net. Sleepwatchers.net by Wishbone43. Life is supposed to be better after graduation. You walk across that stage, grab your diploma, and then you are welcomed into the real world with open arms. All those parties, all the cheering, all the gifts, all the congratulations you get, it's all supposed to represent the new world you're about to join. I mean, you just made it through the hell of high school. Four years of stress and drama, and now you're finally free to be an adult. Life after high school isn't what you think it is. They don't tell you everything. They don't tell you the real secret of the world, of society, of what life is truly about. They don't tell you about the never-ending cycle of money, the endless grind to make a buck. They don't tell you about greed. If I had known, maybe I would have been better prepared for the time after graduation. Maybe I wouldn't have been so self-righteous and maybe I wouldn't have ended up where I am right now, Sleepwatching. The newest way to make some quick cash. Manny told me about it, old good-hearted Manny. He meant well, he really did. I mean, he has been my best friend since freshman year. He didn't know what would happen. We both experienced the newfound struggle for money after graduation. We were just kids, lazy, stuck up kids. We thought that we were too good for some entry level job at McDonald's or Walmart. We wanted something that was going to bring in money quickly and easily. So, him being the best friend that he is, well, he looked around online. It didn't take him long to find exactly what we both wanted. He found sleepwatching, a job in which you get paid to do absolutely nothing. Ollie, all you have to do is sit there and stay awake, he texted me. The way he explained it, sleepwatching would be the easiest job on earth. And just like most things that end in disaster, it seemed too good to be true. So me, being exuberant about my brand new job opportunity, I raced to my computer with all the excitement of a boy who had just found Wonka's fifth and final golden ticket. Didn't talk to anyone else about it, just sat down at my desktop, launched Chrome and began looking up the wonderful world of sleepwatching. You see, it's a pretty ingenious idea. People are afraid of being alone. With how connected the world is these days, they can't stand the loneliness of night. So, of course, these people would pay extremely well just to have someone sit up with them while they rest for the night. Sleepwatching.net, as I found out, is the premier place to get all of your sleepwatching needs. Just apply to join as a trusted watcher and in a few days be matched with a sleeper in need. I signed up that day. Oliver Twitch, I typed into the bar, putting in information you shouldn't put into any website. I assured myself, though, I mean, I understood that sleepwatching.net needed to do a security check on me, make sure I wasn't joining for any nefarious reasons. It took a few days for the acceptance email to finally come in. I remember getting it. How I had been refreshing my email endlessly, just waiting for that green light to pay dirt. I immediately logged into the website, and, to my surprise, I already had an alert from a sleeper in need. In that moment, I wasn't thinking. I just knew that someone was willing to pay me. I clicked on the link, and it gave me the brief profile of the sleeper who wanted me. Her name was Viola. A sweet name for a sweet, innocent old lady. Seventy-four and alone in life. Her husband had died a few years earlier, and her family had leased her out an apartment and forgotten about her. She put on her profile that she had some trouble sleeping of late, and thought that having someone younger there with her would do a lot to ease her insomnia. I greedily accepted. The rate for the job was amazing. (laughs) Old people pay extremely well. We messaged a little that day, just short messages. She wanted to make sure I was okay with the job and the pay. All she needed me to do was to be on the webcam feed. She said she was fine with me doing anything else during the night. It had been around noon when we talked, so I decided to take a nap. I had to be prepared for an all-nighter. An all-nighter that would hopefully get me paid. It got dark around nine where she lived. I was an hour behind, so it was still daylight when we got ready to call. Before I hit the dial button, a pop-up window appeared on my screen. A special message straight from sleepwatchers.net. The Rules It said across the top of the page. Listed below this simple heading was a short list. 1. Do not fall asleep. 2. For no circumstance may you wake the sleeper. 3. Do not touch the red emergency button unless there is an emergency. 4. Do not fall asleep. I had laughed at the rules at the time. They were all basic, common sense that anyone should have known before taking a job as a watcher. I clicked the agree button at the bottom of the page, and then waited for my call to Viola to connect. She was such a sweet old lady... She had this innocent smile on her face as she appeared on the screen, and she looked genuinely happy to see me. "'Hi, Oliver,' she said. "'Thank you so much for doing this. I hope this isn't too much trouble and that you have a good night.' I assured her that I would, that I had a few open tabs that I would be working on while she slept. I told her good night.' and she laid down in her bed. In what seemed like just a few short minutes, she was peacefully asleep. I watched her for a little while. There's a strange peace in watching somebody sleep. Watching their chest move as they breathe slowly. I was watching Viola at her most vulnerable. I knew there wasn't anything to worry about, but still... Having a life in your hands can change you. After just a little while of watching Viola sleep, I began surfing the web. I had all night to endlessly search, so lucky me, I was getting paid to do what I would have been doing that night anyways. The night went by quietly. There was one point during the night that I thought I heard something coming from the video feed. It almost sounded like... Breathing, But me, being the smart-ass kid that I am, knew that it was just the sound all video-cam feeds make when both sides are silent. I now realize that only one side of the feed had been silent. In the morning, when the first rays of the sun were beginning to fill Viola's room, she woke up. No alarm for her, just sunlight. I happened to be watching as this happened, just doing my job, you know. Her first move was to look at her side, the empty portion of her bed. She placed her hand on the unused pillow there, and I could have sworn I saw her body shudder. Then I guess she gathered herself, and she turned to look at her laptop, which was still sitting on a desk next to her bed. She smiled that genuine smile again when she saw me, asked me how my night had been. I told her it had went smoothly. She sighed a sigh of relief and thanked me. She told me that she had just had the best sleep in weeks and to have a good day, and then hung up the feed. I'm a teenager, so I'm used to all-nighters, But with my job done, I gladly went to bed with a smile on my face. The next few nights were the same. I would video call Viola around 8 o'clock at night, and she would be asleep by 8.05. Thank God the internet is endless. I learned so much useless crap during those nights. One night... The peacefulness of our schedule was interrupted. I remember it in some detail. Viola woke up around three, drowsily nodded at me and headed to the bathroom, which from the camera angle I could see was connected to the bedroom by a small door on the other side of her bed. At that point, I never really looked at the feed, I mean, nothing ever changed on it, so there wasn't any point. I only ever really looked to have a moment of peace from the bluntness of the internet. I was watching while she was in the restroom, though. Maybe out of boredom, or maybe because I wanted her to feel safe when she got back into bed. I, I can't really remember. I saw something while she was in the restroom. It was only for a second... But I swear to you, I saw it. A hand. An oversized, bleach-white hand. It was inching its way out from behind a curtain that covered the window. I only saw it for a second, but it raised every hair on my body into attention. I continued staring into that same spot, trying to catch any more evidence of something being wrong. Nothing happened, so I shrugged it off, blaming it on the mixture of midnight drowsiness and Red Bull. Viola came out of the restroom and went back to bed. Her only communication to me was that soft smile before her head hit the pillow, and she was peacefully back out. The way she fell asleep so quickly, she treated sleep like a luxury. A luxury that I could tell she had been missing out on as of late. I felt proud to be the person that could bring that luxury back to her. A few nights later, five nights ago, everything changed. The night started out normal. Viola and I following our established routine, her whispering a "good night, Ollie, to me and passing out, the quietness of her room, the sound of me clicking away into Google, trying to find some new information that I had yet to exhaust. Everything was normal. (laughs) It's all my fault. I didn't nap as much as I should have that day. I, I didn't have a Red Bull on me. I didn't try hard enough to stay awake. I fell asleep. I broke the rules. I slept hard. I was out for at least an hour, drooling on my keyboard, dead to the world and useless to Viola. I woke up suddenly. I think I heard some kind of bang, but I can't remember. Maybe a buzzer. I'm I'm not sure. My head came up quickly, though. I wasn't sure as to what was going on, but I think that my body instinctively knew that something was wrong. After I figured out where I was, I went straight to Viola's tab. She was peacefully asleep. Whatever had awoken me hadn't disturbed her in the slightest. I smiled to myself. With that nap, I would be good to go for the rest of the night and Viola was still perfectly okay. That's when I saw him. The ghoul I now call the Watcher. My smile was instantly gone. He was standing in the corner of Viola's room, mostly hidden by the darkness. What I could make out about him Was his extreme height and his narrow body. I could also see his eyes. They were white, entirely white. They seemed to be reflecting some ungodly light and they were directed straight at me. I couldn't move. Fear was like ice, and in that moment, it froze me. He began to move towards Viola. He didn't walk, but he didn't float like a ghost. He moved smooth, but at the same time, his movements were rigid. Viola's back was to him, and her sleeping face was pointed in my direction. This is when I broke Rule 2. You see, I did the only thing that I could think to do. I yelled, I yelled, and I screamed for Viola, trying to wake her. And it worked. I now wish it hadn't. Her eyes popped open and instantly locked with mine. As she did this, though, watcher was upon her. He began slamming both of his fists into her body over and over again. It made the sick, wet sound a rhythmic thud. I saw it all. It was like having a front row seat to a band that disgusts you. I saw the look of surprise she had when she first woke up. The confusion on her face when he first slammed that white fist into her. And then the fear as she realized what was happening. Blood was everywhere. wouldn't stop coming. Viola's eyes were on me the whole time. She was crying. She had given up and she was steadily weeping as he beat her. (gasps) Ollie. I barely heard her whisper. Help me. I tried to do the only thing that I could. I grabbed the mouse and clicked onto that red emergency button. The one that's supposed to be used only during emergencies. It didn't work. This feature is restricted at the current time to user Wishbone43. Reason? Disobedience of the rules. Somehow, somehow, sleepwatchers.net knew I had fallen asleep. It knew, and it was now punishing me. I turned my attention back to the thing as it continued slamming its oversized fists into Viola. Those once white hands were covered in blood. Viola's eyes were lifeless. She was gone. I could still hear her plead for help in my ears. I cried. I sat in front of my computer with my head in my hands and I cried. Viola died because of me. An innocent old lady died because I couldn't keep my stupid little eyes open. Remember how I talked about how it feels to have a life in your hands? Well, it really, really sucks when that life is lost and you're to blame. The tears wouldn't stop coming. They still haven't. I listened to the continuous slamming of the Watcher's fists into Viola's body. After a little bit of time they finally stopped. It took every ounce of courage that I had to look up, but I did. Those white eyes were staring at me. Those huge white hands, covered in Viola's blood, hung limply at his sides. Those eyes didn't say anything. But I know what the thing was trying to tell me. It's
1: all your fault, Ollie.
0: I haven't slept since that night. Viola haunts my dreams. And if I close my eyes for even a second, she's there. Screaming at me, cursing my name with that innocent voice. She knows it's my fault and she won't let me forget it. That thing is coming for me. Viola's death was just the beginning, the first part of a two part punishment. My death will be part two. I don't know what to do. i I haven't told anyone. I know anyone that I could possibly tell would think I'm insane. And if they didn't instantly call me crazy, well, then they would know that Viola's death was my fault. It isn't that monster's hands that are covered in blood. It's mine. He has been getting closer every night. At first it was just shadows. Things that could be mistaken as nothing. But now I hear his breathing. I see those blood-soaked hands everywhere. That low, almost silent breathing. I hear it no matter where I go. He is always watching. I know he's here right now, behind me as I type, standing over my shoulder and reading what I have to say about him. This nightmare is torture. I'm going to go insane soon if I don't sleep. Please. I need help. I'm begging you, I will give you everything I own. Just please go find my account on Sleepwatchers. Watchers. Please, be my watcher. I won't make it through another night without one. Don't let me die. And don't fall. Poor Oliver learned the value of following the rules a little too late. Here's hoping whoever signs up to watch him doesn't make the same mistakes, or else he just might have a rude awakening. <laughs> uh, meow. Before we get on to our next story, I'd like to answer a question I know has been burning in your brain meats. How can I help this delightful horror show? Well, the first way to do so is to leave a five-star review on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on. iTunes, for example. Or Stitcher. Though for Stitcher you have to go to their website as they oddly don't have a rating system on the app itself. Bizarre, but okay. Have friends who enjoy a good horror yarn, Yawn? yawn? <clears throat> well, share the show and help us grow. On Twitter, Facebook, whatever social media platform your little heart desires. Spread the word and get us heard. Uh. I was kind of reaching for that rhyme there, wasn't I? Mm. Now, if you have more money than you know what to do with and want to help us keep the lights on, perhaps saving my host body from an eviction notice, well, then you can either subscribe to us on Patreon, where I'll be revamping the reward tiers soon, uh, so keep an eye on that, or you can donate directly via PayPal. The link will be in the show notes. Well, with that little bit of begging out of the way, on to our next story. You see, last time we heard of our protagonist's childhood experiences with a bedtime horror that tormented his sleeping hours. Now, seeking closure, he returns to his childhood home to prove to himself, once and for all, that it was just his imagination. Or was it... I present to you Michael Whitehouse's Bedtime, Part 3. Bedtime 3. My Fears Realized. By Michael Whitehouse. A few days ago, I submitted two nightmarish accounts from my childhood. Perhaps you best read them to truly comprehend what has befallen me. I had been compelled to silence, gripped by the irrational fear that somehow even after all of these years, should I speak of it, that those things would seek me out and once again wreak havoc on my life. In the name of science and reason, I confronted those fears and set out to vanquish those tormented memories once and for all by sharing them with others, exposing them for what I believed they were, the delusions of a troubled child. I have held on to my skepticism and rationality for dear life. I have allowed them to define me. But this morning, I was presented with the verifiable physical evidence. Evidence of what, I do not know. But it cannot be ignored. And it seems strange to me that the last few days have been so tainted by apprehension and misfortune after finally breaking my silence that I can no longer rely upon entirely conventional explanations. In the wake of sharing those traumatic experiences I had as a child, I have been plagued by an overwhelming sense of unease. Initially, I attributed this to the fear I had experienced in simply recounting and reliving those terrible events in my mind. But as the days passed, it felt like so much more. A feeling of impending doom consumed my every thought. While sleep came to me, rest did not. Each morning I awoke, my nerves on edge as if deprived of sleep for an age. Nothing overtly frightening happened during those first few nights, No visitation, no unwelcome bedfellows, no wheezing breaths reaching out from deep within my bedroom walls, but I had that distantly familiar feeling of not being alone. Do not misunderstand. I did not sense someone in the room with me. I did not hear, smell, or feel anything remotely supernatural. But throughout my days and nights, I have sensed something subtle, almost on the periphery of my awareness. The feeling that something is on its way. Something is coming. Like the first few stagnant blasts of air from a subway tunnel, heralding the arrival of a lurching, unstoppable monstrosity. Surprising yet expected. My sense of unease grew with each passing day, pushing its way under my skin, deep into my mind like some form of cancerous infection. I tried to focus my attention on various writing projects in a vain attempt to fill my mind up to the brim with other thoughts hopefully leaving no room for those contaminated memories. But those thoughts came to me, nonetheless. My anxiety gained momentum until I could think of nothing else. I had to do something. I had studied psychology for years at university. With this, I knew that anxiety is often the result of a loss of control, and that one of the most effective ways to combat it is to empower oneself. This is what I intended to do. Call it foolhardy, but I was going to go back to that place, that house where those terrible events took place. I was going to confront those memories and expose them for what they were. Nonsense. It was an hour's drive to my old home, but it was one filled with elation. I was confident, at ease, happy. I was in control now, and nothing was going to get in my way from showing that the place I had feared my entire life was nothing but an average, humdrum, harmless little suburban house. Gleefully negotiating the country roads and then motorway, finally I made it to the city. Gradually the streets began to take on a familiar appearance. Memories of playing in that neighborhood came flooding back to me. A play park with my favorite slide, an ash pitch where we used to play football, my schoolyard filled with hide and seek and friendships long since abandoned but never forgotten. My mind wandered through those memories like a prodigal son walking home, wandered so much so that before I realized it, I was pulling into the street where I had once lived. The road was long and disappeared far into the distance, finally entering into a sharp, blind turn. It was an old neighborhood, and had been planned and built long before the advent of the car. This was evident by the narrowness of its roads, creating a strangely claustrophobic feeling, as if the houses on each side rose up, leering at passersby. I slowed my speed and cast my eye over each house that I passed. It was a uniform place, with every house looking not dissimilar. My heart suddenly began to beat faster as a cold chill crawled up my spine. There it was. There was the house. It was late afternoon and the street was quiet, almost lonely. I stared at that little place, wondering how such an ordinary home could have instilled so much fear in me. I had initially intended to only look at the house from afar, confirming it to me as a material construction, entirely explicable and removed from anything uncanny. But as I parked, I took a deep breath, and before I knew it, I was out of my car, walking towards that old metallic gate its once bright floral shapes now darkened by age, flaking deep green paint, revealing nothing but rust beneath. I ran my fingers over its uneven top, and with a subtle gasp, I pushed it open. Walking along the path, I was shocked at how disused the garden was. I thought to myself how much of a waste of a good lawn it was, which was all but obscured by a thick mosaic of weeds and other invasive species. But as I neared the house, I realized why. It was unoccupied. Once again a shudder crept through me, but as my anxiety rose up, I crushed it with my rational mantra. The simplest of explanations is usually the correct one. I assumed that due to the current economic climate that the house had probably just been on the market for some time, and that the owner wasn't too aware of the old sentiment that the first bite is with the eye. But as I looked around, I could see no for sale sign, nor one to let. It generally seemed as though this house had been forgotten, abandoned, and left to rot. The windows at the front of the house were filthy and, as such, almost impossible to see through. But as I wandered around to the back of the building, I could see more clearly inside, I would have imagined that a house such as this one would be empty, but on the contrary, it was entirely occupied. Occupied by the trappings of a modern life. I could see a television sitting in the living room corner, a coffee table with magazines strewn across it, various pieces of furniture sitting as if ready to be used— and a couple of coffee cups sitting on the windowsill, still full, covered in mold. I would have thought the house was lived in if not for a thick layer of dust lying over everything, accompanied by the occasional spider's web. It seemed as though the most recent occupants had left in a hurry and never returned. Clambering through a sea of waist-high grass and bushes, I eventually arrived at that innocuous little window at the back of the house. The very sight of it frightened me, but this was mere memory and not the strange feeling of being watched from within as I had experienced as a child. Peering in, the room looked eerily familiar. I suppose there is little that can be done with a room so small, so oddly narrow. But through the dirt-covered glass, the room looked almost unchanged from what I had slept in. A bed, a set of drawers, and what looked like an assortment of toys on the floor. A profound sense of anger washed over me momentarily. But I shook it quickly from my mind. The room was clearly that of a child's, and the thought of that thing harming another innocent filled me with contempt for such a thought, and within me swelled the desire to protect any child from such an abomination. As I gazed at that wall, of which a bed lay alongside it, the hairs on the back of my neck stood up. For a moment, and it was only the slightest, I thought I saw the blanket on top of the bed move. More than that, through the window pane, I could have sworn I heard a wheezing gasp. Closing my eyes tightly, I repeated another scientific mantra. Silence does not owe its debts to imagination. Opening my eyes, I saw nothing but an empty bedroom. No foul spirits, no unearthly things, just a room, no more, no less. I breathed a sigh of relief, as if all was well with the world for the first time in many days. You may think that it was wishful thinking, but I genuinely felt that I had shown myself that there was nothing to be scared of other than my overactive imagination. It was starting to get dark, and I wanted to be home before the night. Filled with confidence, now that my anxieties were behind me, there was one thing I needed to do. When we had left that house, we did so in a hurry. As a child, it was disorienting, even frightening, to leave everything I knew behind, but there was one thing left which I always wondered about. At the bottom of the garden stood a sycamore tree, which looked to be even older than the house. I was amazed at how unchanged it was. I had grown up, gone on to pastures new but the old sycamore still stood, wise, warm, almost friendly in its appearance. I think it's a rite of passage for any child to have a place to hide things. It's often their first experience with independence, something removed from any authority figure. For me, my stash was halfway up the old sycamore, I'm sure I must have looked like a fool, but I happily and gleefully climbed the tree with abandon. The configuration of the branches had changed in places, but overall the happy memories of playing amongst the limbs of the old sycamore, of having a little piece of the world to myself, away from everyone else, seemed vivid as it was remarkable how much remained unchanged. Halfway up, I caught my breath and smiled to myself. In the central trunk of the tree lay a hollow. Whether it had been created by an animal, or perhaps the tug of a gale on a weakened branch long ago, I do not know. But it was where I kept my things. If I found something which I was sure would be taken from me for being inappropriate, into the hollow it would go. The truth is, though, that the majority of the items inside were not very interesting. Mostly just toys, and rarely exotic pieces of contraband, like a slingshot or some smoke bombs. I had no reason to hide the toys, but when I was young, it felt adventurous to have a secret. The Hollow was dark, and filled halfway with rotting leaves no doubt deposited there from countless autumns. Nevertheless, I reached deep inside to see what remained. I couldn't believe it. I had found a toy that I had hidden there before we moved all those years ago. I could feel the plastic in my hand, its sharp edges unmistakable. But the leaves and darkness of the hollow obscured its view from me, and I struggled to remove it from the thick, wet mixture of rotting leaves and rainwater. It seemed to be caught amongst a collection of small twigs. The reason I was so excited was that I knew when we moved that I had left one of my favorite toys behind, a small plastic First World War British soldier. It may not sound like much, but I had grown up on my family's stories of my grandfather's adventures during both wars, and while he had passed away before I was born, I would often act out exaggerated versions of the stories with this small soldier in the role of the hero, my intrepid grandfather. At the time, I thought a hollow was the perfect hiding place for a soldier. My delight, however, quickly turned to horror. I felt sick to my stomach, for as I pulled the soldier out, I realized it was not my toy, but something else entirely. Stuffed into the back of the hollow amongst the sludge and now in my hand was the skeletal remains of a small animal. The bones crunched together in my grip as the few small flakes of hair and flesh left on it putrefied between my fingers. I almost lost my balance as the rotten and potent smell of death escaped through my moist grasp, invading my senses. I climbed back down carefully, dejected. There was nothing else in the Hollow. My toy was gone, probably taken by another child during the subsequent years. What remained of the poor animal I buried under some loose earth in the garden. I left that place immediately. Despite my unfortunate encounter in the Hollow, I still felt empowered. That I had actually plucked up the courage to revisit that place to see how ordinary it really was made me feel in control once more of my faculties. I did not at that time require anything other than a conventional explanation. I said goodbye to the old neighborhood, to that bad memory once and for all, and began to make my way home. By the time I had driven onto the motorway, something had begun to filter through from the back of my subconscious. At first, I disregarded it, dismissing it as my imagination. But as the sun shone its last and dipped below the horizon, I sensed the growing of a compulsion in me. An idea which seemed to have been born and nurtured for no good reason, no rationale, no sound casual footing, but one which had to be followed at all cost. I must get home. I increased my speed, zipping sporadically between the slower cars on the motorway, looking in the rearview mirror keeping an eye on what might be following. I had to get home. Again. I drove faster, constantly looking behind me as if racing some unseen pursuer. Seventy. Eighty. A hundred miles per hour. I tore along the road. I beeped. I yelled. The sweat lashed off of me. What was happening to me? Please, just let me go home. White-knuckled, I finally made it off the motorway and onto the country roads which would lead directly to my town. The roads were narrow and wound around the now bleak and ominous countryside. Darkness seemed to blanket the road in front of me. I turned my full beam on and breathed a sigh of relief to see a bright light again, even if artificial. The manic anxiety which had seemed to grip me on the motorway appeared to have diminished. However, I still glared into the rearview mirror more often than I should have just to make sure there was nothing following me. What a ridiculous thought. To think of something chasing my car? To put myself and others in danger by speeding down a busy motorway? Madness! Still. Madness or not, I felt compelled to get away as quickly as possible, and even though I had managed to collect my nerves, the loneliness of the road I was on fueled my yearning for my own town, my own street, my own bed. Nervously... I traversed the web-like winding roads which seared through the countryside, feeling relieved at the first sign of a lamppost, of civilization, and of the boundaries of my town. I pulled up outside of my house, switching the engine off, and sat for a moment in silence. I had to stop all this nonsense. Things coming out of walls, watchers smothering me at night, looking into someone's window like a prowler. All of this was lunacy. Tomorrow, I would start afresh. No more writing about my childhood experiences, no more reliving of dread-filled nights, just getting back to normal, carrying out my work, spending time with my girlfriend, and most of all, reaffirming my belief, faith, and confidence in science and rationality. Then the thing in the back seat leant over, grabbed me by the shoulder and breathed a foul, rancid breath from deep inside its lungs down the back of my neck. I scrambled for the door, my arms flailing around looking for the lock. Fear possessed me, shook me. I fear I remembered all too well, a fear from all those years ago, lying awake at night in that sickening room. The inside of the car had grown much colder, but that was nothing compared to the icy fingers burrowing into my shoulder. I honestly thought I was going to die, that this thing would finally get its way after all this time. The door handle popped in my panic grip, and I fell out of the driver's seat onto the pavement. For the briefest of moments, I thought I caught a glimpse of something in the back seat. Vague. The form of an old man, yet twisted and distorted, grinning from ear to ear. Luckily, there was no one around. As had there been, I would have appeared a mad fool, for the car was empty. I grabbed the keys from the ignition and booted the door shut with my foot, locking it for the night. I staggered down the path and into my house. I'm not going to lie to you, but I drank myself to sleep last night. You may recall that I said I had evidence, actual physical evidence of something unnatural. You might be wondering. What that evidence is? Well, I could say that it was the marks on my shoulder that made me shudder with fear. Or I could tell you that my bedroom window lying prized open this morning by what looked like claw marks has left me dreading tonight. Or any other. But no. None of that scared me as much as what I saw today upon waking. Sometimes the most frightening messages are the most simple. For lying on my chest as I awoke this morning was a toy soldier. The soldier I had hidden in that hollow all those years ago returned to me as an adult. Bitten in half. Welcome back, my kitties. Looks like our hero's attempt at putting away childish things got his nighttime terror's attention again, so that it followed him home. Well, that certainly bites, eh? <laughs> uh, now, we have come to the end of... Oh, that music. Oh, that's familiar. It appears we have a podcast shout-out today. Ah, yes. Today's podcast shout-out goes to The White Vaults, a new slow-burn horror audio drama. I'd describe it to you, but they have a delightful trailer, so I'll just have you listen to that instead.
1: East of neolison south of the border to the National Park. I'm reaching out for seizure group and possible rescue services in neolison Our repair team has completed the assignment. A storm has stranded us here for over a week, looking for confirmation and information. Anyone please respond. Hello everyone, I would like to thank you for accepting the offered position for the examination and repair expedition out to outpost Freestad.
0: My god, are you seeing this? I did
1: Fuck! Then go do it then! If we can leave, we need to get moving!
0: This storm is not normal. We must leave! The following documents and recordings are a compilation detailing the events the repair team sent to Outpost Freestead, consisting of Dr. Rosa Della Torre, Walter Heath, Graham Kasner, Dr. Karina Schumacher Weiss, and Jonas Thorninson.
1: In the winter months, Gale Storms in Svalbard can reduce visibility dramatically.
0: During these storms, travel is not advised.
1: The White Vault, coming October 2017.
0: Ah, yes. So go ahead and give the White Vault a listen. It's still a relatively new podcast, so they only have about six or seven episodes out right now. But, well, they certainly have me hooked. Hmm. Well, that's all the time we have, I fear. But worry not, we'll be back, my dear. For it's cold as hell and there are stories to tell. So do visit us again, my dear. There are such horrors for you. (laughs) Here. Yeah. <laughs> The Mad Catter Presents Twisted Tea Time is copyright 2017 by Z.P. Gowdy. All stories are the properties of their respective authors and are obtained via direct permission, creative commons, or they are simply public domain. Music for Twisted Tea Time is used courtesy of Kevin McLeod and Incompetech.com. Co.ag at SoundCloud.com forward slash C-O A-G. And Mew at SoundCloud.com forward slash M-Y-U-U. If you want to support the show and help us grow, then leave a review or rating on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or go to patreon.com forward slash themadcatter and sign up for a low-cost monthly subscription to get Bonus goodies! For more of me and my mischief, find my charming grin on Facebook.com forward slash Cheshire Hats, or on Twitter at RealMadCatter. You can also download past episodes from SoundCloud at SoundCloud.com forward slash Cheshire Hats. Good night, kitties and pleasant dreams.